Before we begin, let's just uh, bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your presence here with us. I want to thank you that you have made peace with us. God, this morning as we look into your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would hear what you have to say, that you would remove distractions and the, the uh, walls that we put up in our heart, and that we would listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if, uh, if you've been able to attend here at PV Church the past many weeks, you know that we are currently working our way through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are eight statements of blessing that Jesus began his first public teaching on uh, when, he, when he spoke what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Jesus starts out by saying, if you want to experience God's blessing, if, if you want to see what living in God's kingdom looks like, here are eight things that need to change in your life, or, or eight characteristics that will show you that you belong to God's kingdom. And, and these eight statements, these eight characteristics, are, are actually quite countercultural. They go against our natural human tendencies, which is why we've called this series Life in the Upside-Down Kingdom. In fact, these eight statements give us a pretty good picture of the change that occurs when we experience God's transforming power in our lives through salvations. And for those of you who haven't been able to attend over the past few weeks, I'd, I'd highly recommend that you take a trip over to pvchurch.ca or, or subscribe to our podcast and listen to the past messages. Uh, I think when Jesse, Dar uh, Darren, and I planned this series out, we kind of thought that each statement would lend itself well to a standalone sermon. Uh, and... and It'd be a good summer series that, that it's kind of loosely connected, yet it works well for most of you who've had the opportunity to spend time with family, uh, camping, going to the cabin, or other summer vacationing, and you haven't been able to be here to listen to each sermon. Uh, and in some ways, I think it's worked, uh, but yet at the same time, Jesse mentioned last week, and it has been said throughout, uh, throughout the series, that, that the Beatitudes are a progression. Uh, each statement builds off of the previous one. So if you want the full meal deal, uh, I'd say go back and listen through the ones that you've missed. Just my little plug for our, for our website and, and the fact that you can listen to these online if you, if you haven't been able to be here, or if you're interested. Uh, but just so you're not totally out of the loop, I'm going to put up the good old ladder chart. Um, if you've been here for a number of these, you may have this thing memorized already. But just for a quick recap, for those who've missed a few of these, I'll go through it again. Uh, when we start at the bottom rung, we first recognize our helplessness and acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy. The step onto the first rung is easy because all it requires is for us to realize our brokenness. And we all have it. We are all or were all broken in our relationships with God. This then leads us to mourning as we recognize our helplessness to remedy our own fallenness. As we recognize our fallenness, the Holy Spirit works in us by taking down our pride and creating within us a hunger for righteousness. We replace our desires for earthly pleasure with spiritual desires, and out of that change, we become people who show mercy, since we have been shown mercy. And this causes us to have one primary focus in our hearts. It creates purity within us. And after all that, 
If that doesn't seem unattainable enough, the next step up, the eighth beatitude, which we are going to be digging into today, uh, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Seventh. I said eighth. I meant seventh. Uh, if you have your Bibles along and you want to follow, follow along, um, we're going to jump around a little bit, but uh, we're going to start out with this beatitude found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It means what it says. The definition is in the word. There we go. Sermon over. Go make peace. Amen. You guys, you guys aren't, you're not taking me seriously. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, it sounds pretty simple when you say it, but, but in actuality, it's something that we all struggle a lot with, or at least I sure do. In fact, many, many of us are, are really bad at making peace, at resolving conflict. And yet, this is one of the most important things that we need to learn as Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, because our world is filled with conflict. This morning, I don't want to talk about uh, pacifism. I'm not going to get all political. We'll save that discussion for another day when I have my remote control helicopter that I can fly out with. Some of you remember that? That was two years ago. I I preached a sermon on nonviolence, and I ended the sermon by saying that my love for aircraft and war machines was going to be left to this, and then I flew my helicopter out, and it was very dramatic. And I thought you'd all remember more than Jesse's broccoli, but apparently it wasn't memorable enough. So I'm going to have to do something else that's outrageous. But, but I think it's worth noting, though, that, that in our world today, according to the Global Conflict Tracker, I did a little bit of research, there are currently six major war conflicts going on right now in which the death toll of each is greater than 10,000 people in the past year. And in fact, several of these conflicts, so that's more than 60,000 people in the past year, never mind what it, gets, it just continues. In fact, several of these conflicts have been going on for years with total death tolls in the millions. The world we live in is not experiencing peace. Yes, maybe right here, but not everywhere. As a church, as members of this community, we are responding, though. Next, uh, next Sunday, we are making kits for people who have been displaced by war, uh, who are without homes because of conflict in their country, and are living in refugee camps. And we're getting involved. But, but what does it look like to be a peacemaker when we hear what's going on globally? Is there any hope for these conflicts being resolved? We also live in a time where taking a stand on any number of hot-button issues automatically has supposedly come to mean that we hate the other side. If you take a stand for something, then you must hate those who are opposed to the stand that you took. Or at least that's what the media keeps telling us. Our media and our culture seem to be egging on the issues and creating divisions rather than looking to resolve issues. Just go on absolutely any social media site or any place where there's unmoderated, anonymous comments, where that can be left, and you will see a pit, a literal pit of conflict that forms over just about 
everything and anything. I mean, there can be a video of a kid singing a cute song, and somewhere in the comments, there is going to be some sort of argument going on, especially if anyone ever says anything related to religion, to gender, to race. There will be fighting. There will be conflict. There's conflict between races, between neighbors, between genders and religions, between sports fans, between actors, Android and iPhone, console and PC master race. We face conflict with coworkers, with our spouses, our children, and our parents. Where there are people, there is conflict. Where there are relationships, there is conflict. The natural tendency of this world is division and brokenness. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes and he says, You will be recognized as a child of God if you are a peacemaker. Last year, there was an issue that came up in the newspaper that shone a pretty poor light on our community. And I remember talking to Pastor Darren about it, feeling helpless with what to do or how to respond. I think many times I feel that way about the conflict that I see around the world. What can one man do in the face of such division, in the face of such anger, hatred, and fighting? And I really appreciated Darren's words of wisdom. He said, really all you can do is keep being kind to your neighbor and showing love to those around you. If we all do that, it will make a difference. I think that wisdom applies to being a peacemaker as well. The world is full of conflict, and it needs all of us to be the kind of people that bring peace to situations, that resolve conflicts and and show others the ultimate reconciliation and peace peace with, uh, with God that we have found in Christ. So, how do we do this practically? I can tell you right now, that I'm not great when it comes to conflict because I hate conflict and I hate confrontation. I'm probably not the only one here who's like that. I'm guessing there are many of you here this morning who would agree with me. Um, I'd say my favorite way to deal with conflict is to avoid it or to sweep it under the rug and forget about it. I will avoid conflict at almost all costs. Prime example when Jaden was, was younger, one of the things that she ate very well was pancakes. I mean, even to this day, she can polish off an adult portion of pancakes, no problem. It's, it's actually kind of impressive. That's my daughter, by the way, Jaden. Uh, and, and since this was the case, on a trip to Grand Forks, we decided that we would go to IHOP for lunch. I wasn't uh, particularly in the mood for breakfast, so I ordered up chicken fingers and a Caesar salad. Perhaps it was my mistake for ordering a salad at a breakfast place, but what came out was a far cry from acceptable. There was some good lettuce on the plate, yes, but there was also a significant amount of very brown, very rotten pieces of lettuce. And I'm not talking like just average, you know, how lettuce can sometimes get a little brown. No, this was like, it stank. It was gross. And I decided when I saw it, I'm not eating this. And not a moment later, our server came by to ask us how everything was, and I looked her dead in the eye, and I said, fantastic, everything is delicious. That, my friends, is how much I avoid conflict. 
being married to a much more forward person, I, I have learned, though, that avoidance is not the answer when it comes to conflict resolution. I tend to believe that I lean towards being a bit of a pacifist when it comes to conflict, but if I'm really upset, I become more of a passive aggressivist. I'll just use sarcasm and passive-aggressive behavior to let you know something is bothering me. My favorite things to do are saying, no, I, I'm fine, and then slamming the door on my way out. Ask my wife. She loves that kind of behavior. I haven't resorted uh, to, to this particular, but I do love a good passive-aggressive uh, note like this one here. I found these, you know, someone wrecked the copier. If you push it harder, it will print faster. Or this little spat here, please do not leave the microwave when you start it. It will keep beeping until you return it and is disrespectful to those who have to listen to it. keep beeping. And the response has been corrected for spelling and grammar. It's kind of funny. Passive-aggressive behavior. But avoidance and passive-aggressiveness and sarcasm are not peacemaking. They are not healthy ways to deal with conflict. No, as Christians, we need to learn to resolve our issues and make peace. Why? Because Jesus commands us to. In fact, I hate to break it to you, but if you have not made peace or have unresolved conflict with someone, you shouldn't be here this morning. If you jump ahead a little bit in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says this, Therefore, if you are, uh, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is so important to God. He would rather you skip out on worship. He would rather you skip out coming to church. Than have unforgiveness or conflict in your life. So for those of you married couples who had a fight in the car on the way to church because you were late again, like Alyssa and I used to have all the time. I think we've gotten past it. I'll just give you a quick moment. You can go to the back and uh, resolve it. So if you had a fight on the way here, no? Then we'll keep going. I'm glad to see that we're all resolved. Everybody has all of their issues resolved here this morning. None of us have any conflict resolution going on. We need to be peacemakers if we want to come before the throne of the one who has made peace with us. If we want to worship without hindrance, we need to be at peace first. It's going to be pretty hard to be happy. It's going to be pretty hard to honestly come before the throne of God if you've got conflict festering in your heart. The beautiful thing is, is that as we are changed by God... And become what Jesus describes in the Beatitudes as we climb up that ladder, as we are hungering for righteousness, as we are pure in our motive, and as we show mercy, we'll almost naturally become peacemakers. It kind of follows. But you know what? Conflict resolution isn't easy. And we aren't nearly perfect in our pursuits. So it doesn't always come out completely naturally. And this morning, I want to share with you Seven biblical steps to becoming a peacemaker because real relationships take effort. And now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm still learning and growing in this. 
and I may know the steps and may have gone through relationship and marriage counseling courses, but I, I certainly don't get it right all the time. And I'm afraid that if we were going to do Pastor Mike's steps to conflict resolution, it would just be something like pretend nothing bothers you, avoid conflict, sweep it under the rug, act out passively, passive-aggressively, and move on. That would be Mike's steps. So uh, I dug up a resource here. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to give credit to Pastor Rick Warren for these seven steps. I didn't think of these on my own because it would be a mess if I tried. Uh, so the first step, step number one, is you need to make the first move. God is our primary example on this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, uh, maybe you know this verse by heart, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God, the masterpiece maker, shows us by example that even when someone has conflict with you, when someone has broken relationship with you, you can make the sacrifice and be the one to initiate reconciliation. Don't hold on to resentment and anger. Conflict left on its own will not resolve itself. And so as a peacemaker, you must initiate the process of reconciliation. Whether you are the one who recognizes that you created the conflict or the other way around, it doesn't matter. If there is conflict and you are a Christian, you need to make the first steps to deal with it. It's what God would do. Some of you sitting here this morning may already have that person, that conflict in your mind that you have not dealt with, that is not resolved. Maybe it's, maybe it's an issue that's been going on for months or even years on both sides of, this, of the disagreement. You are just growing bitter about it. What's holding you back? God has called you to be a peacemaker. God has called you to be reconciled in your relationships. I want to challenge you, don't delay. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says... We know this one. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What conflict have you allowed to go unresolved? No one likes to deal with conflict. Fear keeps us from dealing with things that bother us. We are afraid to be honest. We are afraid to be vulnerable. We are afraid to admit that what we have, that what we have done is wrong or that we aren't as tough as we pretended to be. And the words spoken, they actually really hurt us. Husbands and wives, are you able to be emotionally vulnerable with one another? To deal with the conflicts that come your way in your marriage or do you just pile them up under the rug? We hide behind sarcasm and avoidance because we are afraid to let people see our true selves. Men, you may be afraid to let your wife see who you really are. But if you can't be at peace or you can't be a peacemaker in your own marriage, you are missing out on true emotional intimacy. Few people ever allow anyone that close, but instead they build walls. Husbands and wives, if you are truly filled with love, the love that comes from God, then there should be no fear between you. In fact, that goes for everyone. Because in 1 John 4 verse 18, it, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 
That is the kind of love that God can give, and that is the kind of love that we need when we take the initiative and start the process of conflict resolution, of the process of reconciliation. So this leads us then to step two, which is ask God for wisdom. So you've made the decision to make the first step in bringing peace, but before you go and and confront or confess, you must first consult the master peacemaker. Ask him to give you wisdom to correctly handle and resolve the conflict. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God will give you the wisdom as you ask for it. So now you've decided to take the initiative, you've gone to God for wisdom, and you're meeting with the person, and and just an aside, uh, meet when you're both at your best. Meet in a place where you are both comfortable and able to have an open and honest conversation. Husbands and wives, don't try and resolve a conflict when you first see each other after a hard day dealing with your kids or a difficult day at work. It's not going to work. It's not going to go well. You need to be at your best. So after you've done these things, you're ready to confront this conflict. We move on to step three, and that is start with what's your fault. Don't come in guns a-blazing and accusing the other person. Attacking and accusation will only cause the other person to recoil, and, and it'll only amplify the argument. The other person may be almost entirely wrong, but there is always something that you can confess. Perhaps it's how you responded to the situation, or perhaps how defensive you were, but always start with yourself first. Later on in Jesus' teaching, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5, another popular verse, it says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Maybe you've got a huge blind spot that you're unaware of. Search your heart. Allow God to reveal to you and and find What's your part in the conflict? Ask yourself, have I been unrealistic? Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being ungrateful? Am I being over-demanding? Take an honest evaluation of yourself and start there. Start with what's your fault. And then step four, listen for the other's hurt and perspective. We are and we live in a very self-centered culture. And when we focus only on ourselves, it is very easy for us to become hurt or become frustrated. Jumping back over to James, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. James, chapter 4, uh, four verse 1 says, uh, not James, chapter 4. Oh, I'm in First John. Ah. My apologies. James chapter 4 verse 1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but you do not have so you kill, you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
Selfishness leads to conflict. And there is no room for selfishness in conflict resolution. It's, it's hard for us to see anyone else's point of view or understand their circumstance, which may have caused them to do what they did if we are focused on ourselves. Perhaps you've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. We need to recognize that there, there's a history behind each person that we meet. And, and when we first listen to the other person, we may well gain insight into why this conflict exists, why they acted the way they did, why they did to us what they did. If, if we take the time to understand them first, it helps us to forgive. James 1 verse 19 states, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone wants to be heard. It, in order to restore relationships and be peacemakers, we must put our emphasis on listening more than speaking. It's been said, we've been given two ears for a reason and one mouth because we should listen twice as much as we speak. After we've confessed our part in the conflict, after we've listened to the other's hurt, step five involves speaking the truth tactfully. In Ephesians chapter four, In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If we want to be peacemakers, we must learn to speak lovingly. It's not just about what you say, it's how you say it. I've learned that the hard way a few times. Parents, I'm just telling you, I learned this, maybe you already have as well. When you yell at your kids, they are no longer hearing the words you are speaking. All they are hearing is the emotion. As, as Pastor Warren put it, you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. That goes for dealing with conflict with everyone. Find kind words. Check your tone. If you want to get the truth across, it must be spoken in love. Step six, fix the problem and not the blame. Too often, it just becomes a blame game. Conflict becomes trying to figure out who's at fault for what. There is no resolution in playing the blame game. In a relationship, you need to view yourself as a team working together to solve the issue rather than trying to get the other person to admit they were wrong, rather, to, rather than trying to place the blame. We've been doing that since the beginning of time. Look at Adam and Eve, right? Oh, she did it. She, right? There is, you will not solve the problem, you will not resolve the conflict if you're just going to blame each other. And finally, step number seven, focus on reconciliation and not necessarily resolution. Now, now you, be, you may be saying to yourself, I, I thought you were talking about conflict resolution. Yes, it is, but far more important than that is reconciliation, a restored relationship. More often than not, if you work together to restore the relationship, 
the issue will suddenly shrink down and it may even become insignificant. How many times have you fought over things that were completely pointless, made huge mountains out of molehills? There are times also where you may simply have to disagree, but that doesn't mean that you have to destroy the relationship. Alyssa and I disagree on many things, but we can still work together, love each other, and, and raise our kids together, have a relationship we don't have to completely agree on everything. That's not, not going to work. Right? So make the focus on restoring the relationship and not about having to come to an exact resolution. So there you have it. Seven steps to bring peace to conflict in your life. One, you make the first move. Two, ask God for wisdom. Three, start with what's your fault. Four, listen to the other first. Speak the truth tactfully. Six, fix the problem, not the blame. And seven, focus on reconciliation. So, now that we're through, through this, whose name has been running through your mind? What relationship is working over in your head? With whom do you need to make peace? Which relationship needs reconciliation? My challenge to you today is to heed the words of Jesus and to choose to be a peacemaker because when we're all peacemakers, we will make a difference. In a world that is plagued by conflict, by fighting, by wars and disagreement, we will be recognized as children of God if we are peacemakers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 19 says this. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against themselves. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Peace as Christians is our ministry. We have prayed the prayer, your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven, and we want to be a part of that, then we must be peacemakers. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people who restore relationships, who build bridges, who stop the disunity, who stop the disagreements. If we want to see people impacted by the message of the gospel, we simply cannot be in conflict, not within the church, especially not, not with others in the community. It is our mandate as Christians to bring peace, just as God brought peace to us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Amen.